It's season two of The Full Life. We're back. It starts right now. Welcome back to season two of The Full Life. For those who took the journey with us on the first season, welcome back. And for those joining us for the first time, hello. This is the show that we bring together a panel of Christians coming from all different denominations, ages, genders, cultural backgrounds, and we come together to really refine our faith really get down to what we believe, the core of what we believe, and discuss that and how our different perspectives really help us sharpen, our, as they say, iron sharpening iron. And we do that together as a group and as a faith-sharing community. And I think it's important. You know, when we started this show, we didn't really realize how much importance this kind of model might have. But after the last uh, year we've had, certainly there's been turmoil in a lot of different areas and there's divide in this country, in this world, and in the church. And I think the model of us coming together and really talking about things where we see may see things differently, but coming together and really uniting our love of Jesus is an important model for all of us to take into our churches, into our communities, into the world, into our, into wherever our sphere of influence is. If you haven't followed us, we are on Facebook at The Full Life TV, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, we're everywhere. So go ahead and follow us so you can get more and more of this word that we're going to give you this season. We're definitely going to post more. And with that, I'm going to introduce the people that will be giving you all that content. Our panel, please welcome them back. Uh, <laughs> Carolyn Pankella. I'll, I'll start with you, Carolyn. Give us a little intro so people know who you are again. Hello, everybody. I'm Carolyn Pankella. I am down in the beautiful Orlando, Florida, where the sun is shining. And uh, just been in ministry. I'm not even going to tell you how many years because I don't want to age myself. You know, I'm still 19. <laughs> And no, no, That's no right. thoughts there, Joseph. And uh, <laughs> just been in ministry for a long time of just giving hope around the world, whether if it was through food, medicines, also obviously worship, wrote books, and uh, just giving hope, sharing Jesus. And and then I will go to Hank, uh, Hank Johnson. Um, I'm in Central Pennsylvania. I serve as a senior pastor at our church here in Harrisburg. Uh, good to be back and very, very exciting. For, uh, very excited to be with you for the season ahead. And finally, but certainly not least, it's Jenny Stavali. Well, hello, Full Life family. We are so glad to be back with you. I am Jenny Stavali. I am the lead pastor of King of Kings Community Los Angeles. Um, I have, like Carolyn, been in ministry a long time, but I'm not going to lie to the people and say I'm 19. <laughs> I actually preached on honesty yesterday and integrity, so I can't lie. So that just means I won't mention my age, but I'm glad <laughs> to be back with you. I know we had some great discussions last year, our last season, and I'm looking forward to some great discussions this season. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And my name is Joseph Mancuso. I am what I call the seeker of this group. I'm the producer and the and one of the hosts of the panel, but also I love learning. I love learning from the people, these, these regular co-hosts, but also all of the guests that come on. 
But truly, it's wonderful to be together with all of you and wonderful to have these conversations again because it really just ignites my soul and I hope it does that for a whole lot of people out there as well. So a new segment we're going to do this year is we're going to start with something we're calling an encouraging word. So today's encouraging word comes to us from Carolyn. I appreciate that because we all need some encouragement, especially right now. And for me, there's no place. The world doesn't offer the peace and the joy and the encouragement that I'm looking for. So I always go back to the word. And so one of my favorite scriptures right now is Lamentations 3.22. I just love it. It says, because of the Lord's great love. I could stop right there and we could all be encouraged because just to know that God has great love for you. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what the enemy's tapping on your shoulder or speaking in your ear. His great love for you. It says we are not consumed. That's a promise for his mercies are new every morning. And then it ends with this and it says great is thy faithfulness. And it doesn't matter what you're feeling. Faith is not a feeling. It is a fact. And uh, God is faithful. It's his character. And so no matter what you're going through right now, I just want to encourage you, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And uh, God's going to take care of you. You just got to believe. And when you don't see, you got to believe. Thank you, Carolyn. Today's show, today to kick off our season two, we're going to talk about dating. And, and I think, thanks be to God, I'm sure we would all say, we're married. We don't have to, we're out the market. We don't have to do that game anymore. But is it a game or is it divinely inspired and, and appointed for us? So let's talk about that first amongst our panel. Let's talk about our stories. How did we meet our significant others? I'll start with Jenny this time. Um, we met in New York City uh, doing a national tour of a Broadway show called Zorba. And he was the leading man. Uh, well, he wasn't Zorba, so there's two leads in it. He played Nikos Konstantzakis. And Nikos, uh, the story of Nikos, this, this guy, um, he actually wrote um, the book, The Last Temptation of Christ, as well. So it's not a very godly character. And I came off of, I mean, I was traveling with Benny Hinn and singing. I was doing stuff on TBN. I was preaching at 19 years old. I'd already been a youth pastor. I just finished the Miss America pageant. And I was just this, you know, good Christian girl. And I met this, uh, this boy who was <laughs> nothing to do with the church or God. And, and, you know, I'm the, I am the rare example of what you should not do. Um, <laughs> with, with dating. And I was not walking with the Lord at the time. And I had moved to New York and I was just kind of embracing everything in New York. And I, I saw this, this beautiful man at this, actually we met an audition, but I don't, I only remember that he wore suspenders. Uh, that's, that's about it. Um, but then at our first rehearsal, I remember I just was like, Gaga, I fell head over heels, uh, in love with him. Um, and so, you know, it was kind of a weird, uh, relationship cause we were on the road dating on tour is, is a, is a totally different dynamic, but I will say, um, he would ask a lot of questions. And so for us, dating was very interesting because it really taught me how to be a better minister because I was just a really spiritual kid from the time I was young. I mean, just, that was my, my world and I loved it, but I didn't know how to share the gospel. I basically thought if you don't believe in the gospel, you're dumb. You're just dumb. Why are you dumb? Just don't be dumb. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was kind of like my mind. I just struggled. <clears throat> and all of a sudden this cute boy comes along who doesn't believe. And he starts to share with me his beliefs. He believes, you know, book, he's read the book of Buddha and the Bhagavad Gita, I think it's called and the Quran. And I'm listening to all of his background. And I was like, 
okay, I'm going to be quiet and listen to him talk. And when he finished, I remember saying to him, okay, now, now it's my turn. Now I get to talk. And I learned how we need to listen to people through, mm. through dating him. And we didn't get married until he became a believer. So I wasn't totally out of order there. Long story short, he did come to the Lord. And, and uh, so we married a few years later. But it was a very fun dating time. For and me. how long are you married now? Uh, 19 years. 19, yeah. And how long did you date? Uh, it's five or six years. I think five years. Uh, Hank, how about your story? Yeah, I feel like I can't match that. So that's exciting. <laughs> um, mine seems pretty boring, actually. Kind of how we met is I moved to um, Harrisburg. I was in Philadelphia after college and settled in and just went through a lot of different things. And I just wanted to get away. Like I forced myself into Sabbath. So I was going to take a year off from Philadelphia. Um, part of the getting away was, you know, me not being in a healthy group of friends, but also me going through some personal losses um, as well. Um, like I had a young cousin who had passed away, um, family who had lived with us, so we're pretty close. I had a relationship that didn't work out. I had no idea what I wanted to do for a job or career. So the reset just seemed like it was good. Um, but when I moved, I kind of basically moved into my wife's circle of friends. And it was interesting because I had come from a pretty toxic community. And for the most part, this was a healthy community. Like they met maybe not once a week, but every once in a while I have like a community meal potluck. Um, a couple of them did like praise and worship and stuff. Um, yeah, it was just very, very interesting. Like we went on trips together as a small group, you know, it was just, and we all went to different churches. So it was very, very interesting. But I think for me, maybe the, the turning point was, um, yeah, I think my wife like knew Harrisburg, loved Harrisburg, was invested in Harrisburg. And for me, that was new. And that was super appealing um, to someone who really loved and valued the city. So I think when we even started dating, what was interesting is we just both were at the right time. You know, mm -hmm. so for a lot of, so it's funny hearing, you know, Jenny say, oh, we dated six years. Like we dated 10 months um, and then we're engaged 10 months and then we got married and this June will be 12 years. You know, so I think a lot of our story was just God putting us, like we're both over dating. We're both like tired and we were both like just not interested in games, you know? Like, I think when we started dating within a week, we're like, are you in this? Are you in this? Good. This is awesome. You know, like it was just like, right. like, and, and honestly, it's been a great, great ride. But um, yeah, so I think for us, that was like part of the um, sovereignty of God. Like we just met yes. each other at the very right time, you know? So yeah, I think we both had a lot of growing to do. And we just, it's just funny. It's like, we just hit that sweet spot um, for both of us. So he really did design us for each other. Uh, I knew Nina for two years, just as friends. We started, we met when we were supposed to teach confirmation together. We ended up teaching separate classes, but that's how we met on a hay bale because of some sort of fall festival event that was in the, the hall that, that year. And then uh, we helped each other run the young adult ministry for a year at the church. It all centers around this church, believe it or not. And, uh, and then uh, I went off to, to do a show in Las Vegas and she continued on with her life and she started UCLA. And then I, I remember being in bed not must've been a few days before we met up again. Um, and I just heard in my spirit, you know, I'm, I, I was praying for who was going, who was going to be, who was going to, can you show me who this was? And, and there was something that I needed to get rid of 
out of my life. And, and God's, I said, he's like, I'll tell you, if you can do this for 30 days, I'm going to show you. So we talked about that with, uh, with, if you can do, if you can do, uh, if you can get rid of this and really be vigilant, I'm going to show you. So shortly after I went to meet Nina at a coffee shop and I got to tell you, she was of her own description in sweats, sick as a dog, just getting over cold with these thigh high socks on. She was really looking good that day. I mean, she really, you know, but, but I left that coffee shop and I called my mom and I said, you know, I've known you. I said, I said, something's different. Something just shifted and in, and I just felt that shift in at that meeting. And then, so I, I wait, I sat on it for a few months, but thinking this feeling, and then we were both getting some sort of award or recognition at the cathedral in LA. And she was actually dating someone, I think at the time. And then, so she was telling me that night about the guy she was dating. I said, well, let's, let's go get something to eat and then we'll talk about it. And then, so we, we were, I, I would, we were talking about it and I was driving her to the restaurant and I was going, I was like, yeah, it really sounds like you, you just want to break up. Like I, I was really laying the groundwork here. Uh, so, <laughs> so, so she, she shortly after broke up and then, uh, and then, and then in December, so that was September, then she, they broke up in October. And in December, we kind of went out for not a, a, a date, but we just went out. And then we, that night I was, you know, suggest, you know, do you want to date? And I know she was at college. So I was like, look, we could date casually. I know you're in college and, I, I know you got to have that experience. I get it, you know? And so she said, yeah, you're probably right. And then, so we went, we left that night thinking it was just going to be a casual thing. And then the next day she's like, well, text me. I was like, let's meet at the coffee shop again. It's okay. And she looks, looks to me and goes, you know, I thought about it. And then I just looked she looked at me and goes, and then I thought, F it, let's just be together. Like <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. That's literally what she said. <laughs> if I ever write a romantic comedy, that's going in. That line is holding on. <laughs> and so we did it for exactly a year. And on the anniversary of that first kind of pseudo date is when I went back to that same restaurant. And then I went to some restaurant where their parents ate when they got engaged. And, and finally, in the same convent, we met on a hay bale we I proposed and now we've been together for 10 years and married for almost eight. We'll be married. Eight wow. Well, I um, got married a little later in life uh, and it was really well because I had just gone through a year of God, like pulling me away from dating at all, because it was like, I felt in my spirit, God was saying that he wanted me to stop using anything outside to fill me up that he wanted me to really take some time and just really get all my needs met with him. And it was, it was tough because I had dated a lot and, you know, just, I traveled on the road. I was on the road 300 and some days a year. Um, you talking about that, Jenny. I mean, I lived in buses and trucks and hotels and airplanes and, you know, it was, yeah. And it's a different life. It's a fun life when you're single, but then as you start getting older, you know, you start wanting to, that nesting thing. You want to have that one person that you could just count on. And, you know, I had the little black book and if somebody didn't say what I wanted them to say, I just hung up and called somebody else, you know, <laughs> but um, I know it was bad. You know, I'm just being honest. Well, I just love yeah. to have, I love people and I love to have a good time, but you know, I was so in love with the Lord, but then I, I got in a wrong relationship and um, 
it was not good. And I, I, I operated off of fear instead of faith. And so I went into that fear thing of saying, this is the best it's ever going to be. And, you know, if, if he's going to leave me, if I don't start saying, yes, I'll marry you. And so I went ahead and, and just really got really hurt and devastated. And I heard God in the bathroom. I know it, God talks different places. For me, it was in the bathroom. And he says, um, I'm asking you to get away from this person. I have something better. And I did the dumbest thing. I told the Holy Spirit, no. And I trusted myself and got really hurt. Wow. And from there, that's when I decided I needed to pull it back. I, I needed I needed to take some time to get me filled back up again with Christ, get get that relationship right. And um, that's what I did. And we were out performing. There was like 20,000 people in Portland, Oregon. And one of my girlfriends, um, she met this man who I said I would never date anybody who ever saw me sing. That was just never going to happen. And um she brought him backstage. It was pitch black. I couldn't even tell you what he looked like, but there was something in his spirit that I was like, I got to get to know this guy. And the next day she came up to me and said, I think I'm supposed to give him your number. And I was like, well, you can give him my address and vice versa. We exchanged and he sent me a letter. And you remember, I'm the girl that made the list of 80 things I was looking for in a mate. And one of the things was I wanted somebody to teach me to fly fish. It was just something crazy, but it was on my list. And at the very bottom of the list, he put on there, you know, I've got an accountability group, which was important to me. And mm -hmm. that he said that I love to fly fish. And I always tell people that's where he had me hook, line and sinker. Yeah, really. And uh, we met and no lie. When he knocked on my door, I had my family with me, my, my niece and my nephew, because, you know, I wanted to to keep, you know, just to do it right. You know, I wanted to do it right. And man, when I opened up that door, I mean, Joseph, you've seen him. He is just such a handsome man. I mean, I was just like, oh my gosh. And we had the best time, but I went in the bathroom that night. Once again, it's this bathroom thing. Don't ask me why, but I was starting to freshen my makeup and I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me. He said, what are you doing? And I said, well, did you see him? I mean, this guy is gorgeous. <laughs> and I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, no, Carolyn, because what you start in the flesh, you're going to have to finish in the flesh. But what mm. I start in the spirit, wow. I'm going to finish in the spirit. And so we were married literally seven months later. Uh, and I mean, we went through counseling and went through you all your short, Hank. <laughs> I know you thought it was, but you know, I feel so good and old <laughs> and old fashioned. This is the only time in two seasons I've been the old fashioned one. I know. <laughs> Uh, we prayed about it. We fasted about it and had lots of counseling. And 22 years later, he is still the one. I mean, I just couldn't imagine anybody else. We've, we've, we've been through a lot together, but we've, we've, we've lost together and we've won together. We've lost family together and birthed children together. And to me, that's what makes your marriage. Don't you think guys even stronger is what you go through. If everything was perfect. I mean, if you didn't have a little bit of rain, how would you appreciate the sunshine? Well, to continue our conversation about dating in a godly way and and finding your soulmate that is ordained by God, we want to welcome a special guest today. Andre Butler has made it his life's mission to share God's desire to prosper his people in every area of their lives and his command for his people to do their part in winning the world to Jesus. 
the pastor of Faith Experience Church, or FX Church, located in the heart of downtown Detroit, the sought-after conference speaker and host is known for his practical and relatable approach to preaching God's Word. And he is a graduate of Rama Bible Training Center. Please welcome Pastor Andre Butler. Thank you. Welcome to the show, Andre. Uh, and I'm really excited to, to talk about the topic today of your new book, Bay or Nah, which mm -hmm. I love, which I like. I like it a lot because we're all go through that struggle. Thankfully, we're all married here on this panel now, so we're not in it now, but we once were, as we, we just talked about. And so we want to help our fellow Christian brothers and sisters go through this dating landscape as as godly individuals. So mm -hmm. let's in case our some of our viewers don't know what a bay is, let's define that for people. What is a bay? <laughs> It's really short for for your baby. It's, it's we used to call it your boo, uh, you know, the person that you you're dating that you love. And honestly, what we're referring to in the book is you know the love of your life, the person that uh, God has chosen for you. I believe it's before anyone else. Mm -hmm. I'm, right. I'm I'm getting really hip to this now. Yep. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then so that goes into the next question, which you know. Uh, you talk a lot about the uh, what you call the matchmaking verse in the Bible right. as a lot of the basis of how uh, to do dating in a godly way. So mm -hmm. why don't we talk about that first? What is the matchmaking verse and talk about what we learned from there? I think really in Genesis chapter 24, you have really a chapter that I considered kind of a matchmaking chapter where we really see God orchestrate uh, bringing together Isaac and Rebecca, and uh, in there we see a number of principles that that singles today can apply. Obviously, having an idea of uh, what our list should look like, what criteria we should use when determining whether or not we're going to date and ultimately marry someone, uh, to asking for and uh, following God's guidance and the process, and uh, talking to family and friends and getting their feedback on uh, what you're thinking about, what they think about the relationship, whether or not it's something of God or not. And so there's a there's a lot in that chapter. Uh, for those who haven't read that verse in a while, can, can you give us a summary of what happens in that verse that kind of informs what you're talking mm -hmm. about? So in Genesis 24, of course, it was a little different back then, but uh, Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for his son, Isaac. And of course, it's a very, very important um, moment for that family and frankly for for the world because Jesus was to come through that family. And so he told the servant, uh, gave him uh, some very specific instructions. He's saying, go back to my homeland. I don't want you to, to have someone, to pick someone that really doesn't serve our God. He said, pick someone from our, my family lineage and um, tells them, of course, that when you go, um, I want to make sure that you um, you know, that, that you're picking someone like that. And then he, he says that my angel will go in ahead of you and help you in this process. And so that's one of the things that I really jumped into in the book was that literally was a matchmaking angel in the Bible that played a role. And so that servant went and he prayed. He asked God for guidance, of course, under in the Old Testament way. You know, he asked for a fleece. Of course, nowadays we don't have to do that. We have God in us. But at, at that time, that's what he had. So he asked God that, you know, send out the right woman. And she would ask not only, uh, to give him water, but she would not only give him water, but give water to his camels as well. 
and Rebecca comes out and she is beautiful and she is a servant. And that's why he asked that. She does exactly what he asked. And of course, he begins to find out about her lineage. And sure enough, she matches perfectly. And eventually she has to make the final decision. She's got to decide uh, whether or not she's going to follow what appears God's going, God's doing or not. And she decides to do it. The bigger point of it is, is that he put the fleece out and he trusted God, I think is what the point of that is. And, you know, it just inspires me because, you know, I love when you say put out a fleece. I actually did that. I'm I'm so old school. I made a list of 80 things I was looking for in a mate. Nobody judge me. But Mm -hmm. I made a list of 80 things because I had had so many gnaws that it was like I'm tired of trying things my own way. I think I'm going to lift my white flag and say, God, how about your way this time? And so I actually sort of like that idea. But uh, you talk about uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, prove all things, hold fast that which is God um, in the book. You use this verse to say that we should test our relationships Mm -hmm. against some standards. And I love this because I feel like right now everybody is just do anything anyway, just as long as somebody loves me, somebody has me. And I think we've missed the whole point of a lifelong partner doing life with. And so explain that a little bit. What, what are those standards? Well, I think that overall the big picture is that this is a supernatural process. I mean, you can find someone and pick someone to date and marry, but you want God's choice, right? You yeah. want God involved. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to have God's choice, then you got to do it God's way. And so some of the standards that you're going to be looking for, some of that you'll use, excuse me, are, of course, are they somebody that loves God, that believes in God? Is this someone that has grown spiritually to the place where they're a mature Christian? We talk about that in the book. Uh, what does a mature Christian look like? Jesus said you'll know them by their fruit, by their behavior, right? So uh, those some of the standards that we use. Of course, we also talk a little about a bit about callings. You know, what do you feel like you're called to do? What do you feel is your assignment in life? And do they match? Because if you feel like you're called to serve in the inner city, and you know, like I'm in Detroit, but the person that you're talking to feels like they're called to be a missionary to China, well, this may not work. You know, so these are the kind of things that you have to look at, uh, and and as you prove things out, as you put to the test whether or not this is God. And that's really what the premise of the book is. So many times we use that scripture, don't be unequally yoked. And Mm. we think just because somebody says I'm a Christian, that that makes you equally yoked. And it actually doesn't because you can Mm. be spiritually on different plateaus, just your mm-hmm. love for Jesus, your commitment for Christ, your your hunger to know him. And I think what you're saying is so important. I hope all the singles out there are really taking note to this because so many in relationships that they're seeing red flags everywhere, but they're so afraid of being alone. They're not willing right. to step out and trust God. And that saddens me. Yeah. And the thing is, people have to remember, all you need is one. Sometimes single people get caught up in the odds. You know, what are the odds I can find a good man? What are the odds I can find a good woman? What are the odds I can find somebody that really does love God and will really love me? And, and God has that one out there for you. So if you just take care of developing yourself and following his direction in your life, then he'll make sure you all meet. Yeah. Uh, but you can't allow yourself to be desperate. You can't allow yourself to step outside of God's plan, God's way of doing things because you're afraid that you're going to end up alone. Yeah. You mentioned a lot about self-control in that mm-hmm. maturity of Christianity. And then I think that's a big key for sure. I want to read a scripture that's talked about in the book. And you already know, I think where I'm going with this one. First Peter, I believe it is right. Where first Peter, yeah, three, 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 yep. four, I had it open and it closed. I want to read this. It says, 
To women, do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, and putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be in the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. It's a beautiful word. It, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's the word of God, but I know some women would go, what'd you say? What did you say? I actually had someone wrote me the other day because I addressed submission and, uh -huh. and I was attacked by a family member who wrote me and was so ugly uh, in her. I cannot believe you would ever say a woman has to submit, you know. So these issues are hard for women mm -hmm. to take, but, uh, but it is the word of God. So right. you talk about being a sweet woman as opposed to mm -hmm. a contentious woman. Mm -hmm. um, maybe give us some. You know, the, uh, it's some definitions of those terms, biblical yeah. inspiration behind these terms. Um, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, you look up the word, that phrase, meek and quiet spirit, uh, the word quiet there comes from a Greek word, which means undisturbed and undisturbing. And I love that definition. Uh, Ooh, because that, that, that sweet woman is someone that is not touchy, that's not easily bothered, easily upset. Uh, and at the same time, they're not the type of person that's causing other people to feel the same way. You're not walking on eggshells around them. This is kind of random, but I was watching this TV show with a friend of mine the other day, and it was one of those married at first sight deals. And, you know, I don't really watch it much, but I watched it with this friend. And I just sit there and watched people, you know, men and women just be so touchy. You know, every little thing turned into a, you know, 30 minute argument. And I'm, I'm thinking this is exactly what the Bible's saying not to do. And actually, when the Bible talks about being undisturbed and undisturbing, not being contentious, it actually says the same thing to men too. It's extremely important. Uh, I, you know, I ran, a, I came across a study, and I wouldn't even say this was in a Christian magazine, but they basically did a study on, you know, what makes certain marriages work and other ones not, and they found the key word was kindness. Mm. They found the couples that were just kind to each other were yes. the ones that had good marriages. And, you know, obviously that, that ties, I think, really neat, nicely into what we we're just what we're talking about, because someone that is sweet, um, that is selfless, that is not contentious. I mean, all this really points back to First Corinthians 13, the love chapter, uh, the Amplified Bible talks about love not being touchy and resentful and believing the best of, of the other person. So somebody that walks in that, you know, that's, you know, that's when you have that kind of a relationship with that kind of person. You're going to be able to make things work. You know, you're going to find that even when you have difficulty, even when you don't agree on things, uh, you'll be able to work through it um, and you'll be able to enjoy your life together and you will have peace. And that's what God wants in your home. You want someone that's mature. And um, because marriage is by itself, it has challenges. Um, but if you're going to go through it with someone that's immature, you know, somebody that is mature, you can you can you can make it through and it can still be a wonderful marriage. Um, in the book, you also talk about the role of men. Um, I think you quote First uh, Timothy 3, uh, mm -hmm. 2 to 3, which says, Now the overseer is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent or quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. So I just want to have you expound on that, too. Um, what What is the role of man in marriage? Um, how do men and women come together in these roles? I think that... One of the challenges that women have when they think about can I find a man of God is that they don't see a lot of men that are equipped to lead. And that's what they're, the man's supposed to do. He's supposed to be a leader in the home. He's, he's to say what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. And so um, that's really what, what a man's supposed to do, have his own relationship with God. 
up, be fully pursuing God himself, and then be willing to be the individual that will do like what Ephesians 5 says, where it says there that, uh, you know, husbands love your wives, you know, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Right. Be willing to sacrifice because manhood is about sacrifice. Um, it just is, period. And so you have to learn how to look beyond yourself. You have to learn how to, you know, sometimes take the bite the bullet, you know, do what it takes so that your family and wherever else you, whoever else you're serving uh, is, is having their needs met. And it doesn't mean that God won't take care of you, but your focus has to be on others. And so uh, it's important for ladies to find a man who is not all about himself, Amen. to find a man who is selfless and uh, is a servant first. And, and when you find that man, well, you, you're, you're on to something. We do, of course, know about, you know, the example that the Bible gives in Ephesians chapter five uh, of really Jesus and how, you know, he as, you know, the head of the church, as, uh, you know, obviously the leader of the bride of Christ, sacrificed himself for the church. And that's really what a man needs to be willing to do. Yeah, I think that's ultimately, I think, the key to all of this in a in a loving relationship, especially a romantic one, is it's totally about uh, sacrifice and selflessness. And I think the point that you make very well is that, you know, submission is sacrifice is to me sacrifice but loving your wife is equally sacrificial i mean that mm -hmm. verse i think goes hand in hand mm -hmm. with each other mm -hmm. and we we lift each other up in different ways because i m majority men and women need the different ways we lift each other up but it's equally sacrificial so i, I think that's so key there you know i i just want to i want to talk about that thing submission real quick since yeah. you mentioned it because I think it is an issue. It was something I had to learn um, mm -hmm. that it wasn't an insult of God to say that you're right. submissive to this man. It was, hey, there's going to be a priest of the house. There's going to be an order. But I learned about the covering that it truly is about, you know, a covering situation. And and it was re it really released me personally because I'm one of those people that stresses about decisions and all that. And you know, when I read that God talked about the fact that if you know a woman you know, wants to make a certain decision. It, it, it's in Leviticus. I don't want to get too much into it, but that if the husband won't let her, the, and the, basically the husband is judged in a nutshell mm -hmm. because he's the covering. He has to hold that responsibility. And it made me go, you know what, God, thank you for that. That the ultimate mm -hmm. thing, I don't have to be, if he makes a decision and it's wrong, that's on him. And I am mm -hmm. held God says, I won't hold her accountable for it. If the husband doesn't let her, I think it was complete her vow or whatever. I don't mm -hmm. hold her accountable. That was freeing for me, but I, I, it was a journey to get there. Mm -hmm. Who, you know, There's going to be unbelievers that watch this. And for them, that concept is very, very hard to understand. In fact, the text I got from this woman was about how dare you insult my womanhood by telling mm -hmm. me to ever submit myself to a man. People like you are responsible for... Uh, physical and sexual abuse. How dare mm -hmm. you speak this way? You're archaic. Go back in the, you know, I mean, it was, you know, mm -hmm. but, but I, her words were talking about, you know, women being empowered. She's like, no man will ever take my womanhood and my strength from me, which is not what this is saying. But again, it's a, it's a very hard dynamic, I think, for people to understand, especially strong women. But I'm a strong woman. I'm a mm -hmm. strong woman who's a lead pastor of our church. Yet I still submit to my husband. 
Right. He has the final say. I get it. And I'm cool with it. And it helps our marriage. In fact, if I didn't get it, we probably wouldn't be married still. So I think that lady you reference is coming from pain and probably coming from experience. I think there's a lot of people who say, I'm in charge and I'm the boss. And I don't think that's what the passage is even about. Um, I think that the passage is about, you know, when we say love as Christ loved the church, Jesus's love wasn't lording over anyone. Jesus's love wasn't even telling people what to do necessarily. You know, it was saying what the kingdom is and what we should work for. Um, but Jesus doesn't like force the disciples to do anything, for example. Um, so I think what does it mean that Jesus gave up heaven and came and laid down his life? And does your leadership, quote unquote, look like that? Um, I also think it's important for us to remember that Jesus redeemed everything. Um, so while I love the Apostle Paul, he wasn't there at the beginning of creation. I think marriage actually starts in creation. And when marriage and God creates man and woman, woman's created as an Ezer. And I think that's different. You know, I think a lot of times we don't do the work, right? Um, Ezer is helper in English, which again, our English connotation and culture, if I say, hey, um, you know, Andre, you're my helper, that means I'm in charge. You know, like there's no other way to do that, right? But in Ezra, every other time I think it shows up in the Old Testament, David says, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my Ezra come from? He's not asking for an assistant. You know, most other times it's um, a partner, someone who is stronger than you sometimes. Um, but it's the idea that it's a, it's a perfectly, um, it's a partner. You know, it's a perfectly weighted partner who is not just someone that you lord over. Um, one way I've heard it explained is if you had a two-sided house, you got to be perfectly even. God creates us not just equal, but that to the need one another, you know? And I think that's important to, and I think, that's important for us to also highlight. That's what made marriage works. I know a lot of people who will say, well, Jenny has a doctorate in finance, but I'm the man, so I should take care of the finances. No, right? like that's not okay. You know, like, and I think, but I think we laugh about it, but I do think there's a lot of people who live yeah. that and yeah. use these verses wrong. I think, I think um, people tend to forget that submission is not just something that wives do. You know, God expects children to submit to their parents. God expects you know, employees to submit to their employer. God expects, you know, church members to submit to their pastor. Uh, it's not just a marriage thing. It's an order thing. Um, something my dad likes to say, anything with two heads is a freak. Right. Uh, there's has, somebody has to be in charge. Somebody has to be responsible. Mm -hmm. uh, it has nothing to do with your value. I know it sounds like the, the person that mentioned that to you, they, they kind of mix it up and thought it had something to do with, uh, you know, your value and maybe saying that you're lesser. Well, the Bible is very clear. For example, in First Peter three, if you read, I think the next scripture down, I think verse seven talks about how you know, men and women are heirs together of the grace of life, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, men and women are equal. That's not the challenge. That's not the issue at all. We're talking about function. How are we going to make this work? What's going to cause us to to be successful in this relationship and in this family? And in this situation, just like when it comes to, a, a, you know, when it comes to children or a workplace or even in government, we submit to our government leaders, whether we like them or not, you know. This is how it works. There is leadership, and then there is submission to that leadership. And submission is not agreement. You know, submission means there are times when I don't agree, but I choose to go ahead and go along with this without an attitude, without creating difficulty. And as Christians, I do what Sarah did, which is I put my faith in God. And what jumped out of me as I was studying this, of course, I preach First Peter three many times, as I'm sure many of you all have. I didn't see so clearly as I did this time that God was literally putting Sarah up as an example to women. You know, we talk about women in the Bible, and I don't know that we talk about Sarah enough. Um, but when you think about the fact that her man, her husband came to her and said, God told me 
that we're supposed to leave our home, leave everybody and everything we're, that we know, and we have no record of her fighting him at all about that. She went along with it. In fact, the Bible says she was a woman of faith. Um, she's a great example of a strong woman, a woman who will be in the Bible for eternity, who had a child when she was 90 years old, and she got there because she understood this principle among others. She also told Abraham in a, a kind of strong way, I think, when she said, you know, you need to get rid of the woman. And mm -hmm. Abraham didn't like it. And Abraham went to God and God said, listen to your wife. So that's a very interesting, you know, picture as well. Mm -hmm. Because she submitted to him. God told him to submit to her in that. Right. And if I can yeah. add this, it's why it's so important in the dating process. We, we get out of the emotion of, oh, I have somebody or, oh, I need somebody. And really take a step back. I tell people that before you get married, that's when your eyes should be wide open. Cause after you get married, you really need to half shut them because it's mm -hmm. not that we're not watching everything, but I'm just saying you got to stop being so picky and like everything you were just saying that dripping faucet. But before you get married, that's your time to go. Where is he at biblically? It can he be mm -hmm. my leader? And maybe I'm old school. You know, I, I have to be honest. I wanted a man to pursue me. The Bible says that a man findeth a good thing. I think that we have to bring it back a little bit that let's take a step back and let's give the man a chance, you know, to take his time, to go his, to show us who he is. I mean, I always say this, you know, the man might be the head, but we're the neck. And a lot of times mm -hmm. we can tell that head where it's going. Just it's got to be done in a sweet and gentle way. I want to ask you to answer something. Do you think a woman who is married to a non-godly man still should submit to a man if he's ungodly. I just, for some reason, I'm curious what your thought is on that. Yeah, First Peter 3, you know, verse 1, says that very thing, right? It talks about husbands that don't obey the word can be won by the lifestyle of the wives. Right. People have free will. So, you know, you have to do your part, and then they have a decision to make on their own. But you can have a major impact on the heart of, of a man like that when you choose to still do it God's way in spite of doing it, you know, however... Uh, the world says to do it or even you know, how you may feel like handling things. I have so many friends, honestly, that are married to non-Christian men that they have some incredible marriages because the men morally are good men. Mm -hmm. And so they are just standing in the gap, just believing for them because they want to live in eternity together. You know, I encourage anybody who is watching this today and you're married to a non-believer, please send it into us that we can put their name on a list. And I know every one of us we want to join with you and believe in God, don't we, that their lives would be changed? Because I don't know how people do marriage. I don't know how people do life without Jesus. I do think this is important. You talk in the book a lot about second marriage and remarriage and divorce and tragedy. Um, so I do think as part of this conversation, it's good for you to maybe share a little bit about that. Um, because it's not only a hot topic, but it's something that a lot of people increasingly are, are dealing with, you know, and they come from either churches or backgrounds that says, you know, no marriage ever or no remarriage ever um, mm -hmm. or divorce is the ultimate sin or a ultimate mm -hmm. sin. So um, first, what does the Bible say about this? And is there a process um, to getting to remarriage? Yeah, it's, it's, um, there's a great book by Kenneth Hagan. I can never talk. I think I mentioned in a book called Divorce, Marriage and Remarriage. Very clearly, God wants marriages to stay together. Uh, but there are a couple of instances where God permits divorce and remarriage. And one of them obviously is when the spouse is cheated on the other one. Uh, another one that you see is uh, abandonment in First Corinthians chapter seven and Bible talks about 
you know, the unbeliever wants to depart and you get into the, even the, the New Testament, some of the things Jesus said, you can find that there are believers that he considers unbelievers because they refuse counsel from multiple sources. And so in other words, God will honor people's free will, just like they have they have the choice to go to hell if they want to or not. By rejecting Jesus, they can choose to walk away from their spouse, whether it's God's will or not. Um, and God's not holding the other spouse in bondage because of that. Um, I think in any of those cases, you have to open your Bible. You need to get godly counsel from you know your pastors and, and multiple sources. You need to be led by God in that so that you know your situation because it really does become case specific. Um, but uh, I think that you can clearly see uh, that there are cases, particularly when we look at First Corinthians chapter 7, where it is appropriate to remarry. And I think one of the, the problems I have with the church, we are very good to judge. So, you know, we hear somebody's divorced and or maybe remarried, and we just assume they did something wrong. We don't know that their spouse was cheating on them for five years. You know, right. we, we just don't, we don't think like that. We just think, well, they must have just had, did something silly. You don't, you don't always know people's stories. And so I think it's important for those who are in those positions to not allow themselves to be moved by what other people may say or think. But to more importantly, make sure you're listening to godly counsel. You're being led by God in it, and then allow God to to you know bring that person to you that will do exactly what you want them to do. They'll be with you and be uh, a part of the power couple that He wants you to be a part of. Well, I think we'll leave it there. Now let's talk about the fullness of prayer. For me, to not pray is like not brushing your teeth. You just feel funny if you don't do it. Um, but what helps me with my prayer time is, of course, starting off thanking God praising God, worshiping God. And I like to listen to some worship music as I get into my prayer times, because sometimes it just don't feel very spiritual. And it uh, just kind of helps me get in the spirit and pay my understanding and, and go from there. You just need to take the first step. You know, um, and, and that first step might be just taking a few moments and, and thanking God for the good that's in your life and, and focusing on that. And then beginning to praise Him because He's good. And, and then going from there and Maybe start worshiping him for who he is, and just you know. But just don't don't think of it. Often we think of having to complete a journey when God's just saying start the journey. You know, like anybody else, I've had some really dark seasons in my life, and what got me through was getting in God's presence and staying there. And what happened is I walk in, you know, in my prayer closet or wherever I'm praying, and I would, you know, be there upset, depressed, angry, even crying in some cases. By the time I got done, I would find my joy has been rekindled. You go in feeling hopeless, and then I would come out feeling strong. That happened to me again and again and again, particularly some of these really dark seasons where, frankly, I would not have made it. And I would probably argue the strongest part of my, my Christian walk is my daily time with God. Well, make sure you pick up the book, Bay or Nah. I like how Hank laughs every time I say the title. No, it's just, it's, I feel like we're, this is like, this is the equivalent of me learning Greek and Hebrew and people used to make fun of me for pronouncing stuff. Like y'all got to learn our language and y'all just that's struggling right. and it's, it's beautiful. You know, that's all. That's what we do here. You know? that's it's just like, here. it's just this fighting to come out. He's like, nah, you know, it's just like, it's great. Um, and make sure to follow Pastor Andre, of course, at all of his social. We'll put that up for you as well. At least in my mind, in my experience with my wife, we were open and honest about what we weren't, what weren't mature about, and we really lifted each other up and made each other better. I mean, that's what a real loving, I think, marriage can really do for people. So we, of course, 
want that for every believer out there and non-believer. We want you to have good marriages and we want you to experience the love that God made through marriage that we so we could enjoy each other and enjoy that partnership. So we'll be back on The Full Life next time to talk about this and all the other topics that we have to cover this season. Boy, we already got a lineup that I'm so excited about. So just stay tuned with us. It's going to be great. We'll see you next time on The Full Life. <laughs>